nice slope to the roof. So begin with a day in early October, when it's easy to think of the sun shining hard, the fields surrounding the minister's house brown and gold, the trees on the hills sparkling a yellowy red. There was, there always is, plenty to worry about. The Russians had sent up their Sputnik satellites two years before, one whirling around right now with that poor dead dog inside, and were said to be spying on us from outer space, as well as right here in our own country. Nikita Khrushchev, squatty and remarkably unattractive, had even arrived a couple of weeks before for a visit to America, whether people liked it or not, and many did not. They were afraid he'd be killed before getting home, and then what horrors might ensue. Experts, whoever they were, and however they did it, had determined that a guided missile from Moscow to New York would fall within 7.3 miles of its target. And while it was a comfort to live outside this radius, there were three families in West Annet who had bomb shelters in their backyards anyway, because, after all, you never knew. Still, this happened to be the first year in many when countrywide church membership had not increased at a greater rate than the general population. And that, if you thought about it, had to mean something. Possibly it meant people were not panicking. Possibly it meant people wanted to believe, and were apparently believing, particularly here in the northern reaches of New England, where the same people had lived for years, not many communists among them, although there were a few, that after half a century of colossal human horror, the world really could perhaps be finally decent and safe and good. And today... The one we've chosen to start with was lovely in its sunny brightness, the tops of those distant trees a brave and brilliant yellowy red, the kind of day where you could easily imagine the tall minister out for a walk, thinking, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. It had, in fact, been Reverend Caskey's habit that fall to take a morning walk down Stepping Stone Road, then turn back up around Ringrose Pond, and there were some mornings when he continued on into town, heading to his study in the basement of the church, waving to people along the way who tapped their horns, or stopping to talk to a car that pulled over, leaning his large body down to peer into the window, smiling, nodding, his hand lingering on the car door until the window was rolled up, a wave goodbye. But not this morning. This morning the man was sitting in his study at home, tapping a pen against the top of his desk. Right after breakfast, he had received a telephone call from his daughter's school. His daughter's teacher was a young woman named Mrs. Ingersoll, and she had asked the minister in a remarkably clear voice if he would come to school in the late afternoon to discuss Catherine's behavior. Is there a problem, the minister had said. And during the pause that followed, he said, I'll come in, of course. Standing up, holding the black telephone, while he looked around the room as though something had been misplaced, Thank you for calling, he added. If there's any kind of problem, of course I want to know. A small stinging pain below his collarbone arrived, and placing his hand over it, the man had the odd momentary sense of someone about to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Then for some minutes he walked back and forth in front of his desk, his fingers tapping his mouth. Nobody, of course, wants to start a morning this way, but it was especially true for Reverend Caskey, who had suffered his share of recent sorrows, and while people were aware of this, the man was really far more worn down than anyone knew. There was a sermon to prepare. There always was. 
and the one for this Sunday the minister was going to call on the perils of personal vanity, a tricky topic requiring discretion. What specifics would he use, particularly as he was hoping with its teaching to head off a crisis that loomed on the ecclesiastical horizon here in West Annet regarding the purchase of a new organ? You can be sure that in a small town where there is only one church, the decision as to whether or not that church needs a new organ can take on some significance. The organist, Doris Austin, was ready to view any opposition to the purchase as an assault upon her character, a stance irritating to those who had a natural hesitancy toward any change. So with not much else to occupy itself at the time, the town was on the verge of being occupied by this. Reverend Caskey was opposed to the organ, but said nothing publicly, only tried through his preaching to make people think. Last week had been World Communion Sunday, and the minister had emphasized this point to his congregation right before the special offering. They were Christians in communion with the world. As was tradition, on the Friday before World Communion Sunday, a noontime service of the Ladies' Aid Benevolent Society had been held, and that's when the minister had been hoping to speak on the perils of personal vanity, guiding this group of women, responsible for raising much of the church's money, away from any frivolous expenditures. Jane Watson wanted a new set of linen tablecloths for coffee hour. But he'd not been able to gather his thoughts, and for Tyler, who used to like to picture himself, metaphorically speaking, as taking his listeners gently by the scruff of their white New England necks, listen while I tell you. His Friday performance had been disappointing. He'd provided only general words of praise for hard work, money raised. Aura Kendall, whose droll voice always struck Tyler as being at odds with her small face and wild black hair, had called an hour after the service to give him a report, as she was apt to do. Two things, Tyler. Allison doesn't like you quoting Catholic saints. Well, Tyler said easily, I guess I won't worry about that. Second thing, said Aura, Doris wants that new organ even more than she wants to divorce Charlie and marry you. The organ business, Aura... That's the board's decision. Aura made a ruminative sound. Don't be a nitwit, Tyler. If you showed any enthusiasm for it, the board would say yes in a second. She thinks you ought to do that because she's special. Everyone is special. Oh, that's why you're a minister and I'm not. This morning, Tyler Caskey was trying again to compose some lines about vanity, but he just sat, staring out the window of the room. His eyes, wide and gazing, did not take in the birdbath or the stone wall or anything at all. He was just staring into space with his blue eyes. Little wispy thises and thats were floating by the edge of his memory, the poster that had hung in his childhood bedroom with the words, A good boy never talks back, picnic tables in the Applebee's field where the beanhole suppers used to be held, the maroon drapes in the living room of the house where his mother still lived, now with the baby, Jeannie, and here his mind hovered. The proprietary nature of his mother's large hands as she guided the child's little shoulders through the living room. The minister looked down at the pen he was holding. The best in a difficult situation is how he had phrased it at first, but it didn't have to be phrased any more. Everyone knew where the baby was, and no one, to his knowledge, frowned on the arrangement. And, in fact, no one really did. Fathers were not, at that time, expected to raise small babies alone, 
particularly where there was so little money, and while the lady's aide had supplied him with the light housekeeping duties of Mrs. Connie Hatch, she was paid pennies. His congregation understood the baby was better off for the time being with her grandmother Caskey, who had never, by the way, offered to take in little Catherine, too. No, Catherine was his. Cross to bear. Words that shot through his mind now and made him grimace, for she was not his cross to bear. She was his gift from God. He sat up straight and tried to picture himself talking with the young teacher, how he would listen earnestly, hands clasping his knees. But his cuffs were frayed. How could he not have noticed? Examining the cuffs more closely, he realized the shirt was simply old, had reached the point where his wife would have taken it for herself, cutting the sleeves off midway and wearing it with her bright pink ballet tights that had no feet. It frees me up, she would say. But she had sometimes answered the door that way, and when he had said jokingly that perhaps this put his job at risk, having Marilyn Dunlop drive up to the house and find the minister's wife running around in men's cut-off shirts and dancing tights, that Marilyn might even elaborate on her report back to the others. His wife had answered, Say, Tyler, are there any things I can decide on my own? Because it had bothered her dreadfully how the walls of the old farmhouse did not belong to her, belonged to the church instead, that she could not paint a wall without the church's permission, although permission was granted, of course, when the minister said he would buy the paint himself. I want it all pink, his wife had said excitedly, throwing her arms wide with exuberance, and he had not repeated to her later, of course, how his sister Belle, on a visit, had said, For God's sake, Tyler, you're living inside a piece of bubble gum. And right now, the living room shone a candy box pink. Tyler stood up and walked down the hall.